0: Support comes from Bellingham's Whatcom Museum with its historic Hall of Birds. On May 31st and June 1st, hosting bird taxidermist and museum preservationist Alice Markham for a weekend of events and workshops. Details and tickets at whatcommuseum.org.
1: You're listening to Soundside. I'm Libby Denkman. Radioactive Youth Media is a program here at KUOW that gives young people the skills and resources to do public radio journalism. The program launched 20 years ago, and on SoundSide, we've been reconnecting with some of these journalists to get an update on the people and the radioactive reporters behind these stories. Today, we're revisiting a story from radioactive alum Annika Prom. Back in 2018, Annika brought listeners the story of venerable Prenz Sangwoon, a then 20-year-old Cambodian-American Buddhist monk. During a Khmer student conference in 2013, Prenz realized that many Cambodian American youth were out of touch with their culture.
2: I was the only monk there. What really caught my eye was that many of the students there didn't know how to greet me. Some of them were intimidated. It was at that time where I realized that there was an issue. There was a lack of communication between the generations and culture and religion.
1: So Prince decided that the best way to build a bridge between generations was to go where the youth were spending a lot of time, social media.
2: Buddhist statues are a representation and reminder of Buddhist teachings. A
1: lot has changed since Annika's story aired 6 years ago. One major thing, Prenz is no longer a monk. Meanwhile, Annika graduated from college. Both are still devoted to serving the area's Khmer community. Today, Prenz works for a local food bank and Annika is a program coordinator for the Cambodian American Community Council of Washington or Kakwa. They run into each other from time to time, but they haven't had a chance to sit face to face and catch up in years. So Annika Prom and Prenz Sangwoon sat down in our Studio to talk about Prenza's decision to leave the monastery and how they both continue to explore their identities as Cambodian Americans. Here's Annika.
0: Once you derobed, what were some of the first things you wanted to experience as a civilian?
2: <laughs> One of the first things I wanted to experience was eating dinner, uh, which is kind of funny because... For for civilians or lay people, eating dinner seems so um so normal. But as a monk it, it wasn't. Like it, it is our practice to fast. Um and so I wouldn't eat after afternoon. It felt really weird too, to eat afternoon or at, at like at an evening time or the night time. I think my first evening meal was around like five or six and I was like Oh, it just feels so wrong that I'm that I'm eating, but it was something that I, I wanted to experience, um, and also just hug my my family members. Um, again, just one of our practices as as Buddhist monks, but um, just being able to to hug and and feel the warmth of family again, um, was was something uh, that I was looking forward to.
0: So now that has been some time, do you know what you like to have for dinner?
2: I'm very big on on chicken and salmon. I love salmon. I think I've always loved salmon, though, because my dad was a fisherman and he he loves, you know, salmon fishing. But um, I'm still like a good rice dish with some salmon or, or some chicken would be great.
0: What were some of the things you had to do to help overcome that guilt that you felt while eating dinner?
2: I think a lot of that really came to being consistent with it and just, again, recognizing that Oh, my body needs energy. And in order to um, kind of build that energy, I need to feed myself. I need to nourish my body. And and again, at the time, like it, it actually took me a while to get back to getting used to eating dinner. I think for the first maybe three or four months, I wasn't eating dinner consistently just because, one, I wasn't hungry, and two, it just didn't feel right for me yet. Um, but I think over time, what kind of helped was just being around other people that were that were eating as well. And so if it was just by myself, I probably would have skipped the whole meal uh, as as is. Um, but I had other people that, you know, my family I was living with that were eating dinner, and so I would just join them for dinner, even if I wasn't eating that much.
0: What were some of the other things that you had to learn during your transition?
2: Being around people. I know that sounds funny. um, And it is. um, But I think when I was a monk, it was very, um, there was a lot of solitude within it. You know, of course, that's part of the practice. And so for me, for, you know, I was a monk for about seven years. And a lot of that time, I was, you know, kind of just in the temple and I would just be around other monks and a lot less people. And so, When I transitioned out um, to back to kind of civilian lifestyle, a lot of people were were inviting me to a lot of different things because, oh, you know, Prince is not a monk anymore. Let's invite him to this event that takes place in the evening. Let's invite him to this thing, this function, whatever it may be. And so a lot of that, I actually it it took me a lot of time to kind of get used to being around people um, more often and and being um, having like physical touch. Um, was was also something that um, I had to get used to. It just felt weird to, like, shake people's hands or hug people, um, even though that was something I was, like, looking forward to.
0: So then what did you have to do to start getting comfortable with those things?
2: Um, I forced myself to go out more. I forced myself to be around people. Um, At the time, I felt um, very much of a... Um, an introvert. And at times I do still feel like I'm I'm an introvert. um, But I really kept myself around people. And then another thing that I actually had to adjust to um, that helped me being around people was getting a job.
0: (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit more about your job right now?
2: Yeah, so um, the job that I got was actually funny. The way it happened too is because um, the place that I currently work is a place that I lived right next to when I was living at the temple. And so, uh, which is a food, it's a local food bank. And I started off as a volunteer coordinator. And so I was working with a lot of volunteers that were coming through we'd have about almost 20,000 volunteers a year and right now I work with um, urban farmers and um, really making sure that we as a food bank are understanding food insecurity needs within local communities across King County Um, and so um, it's a a different aspect of community work different from what I was doing but it's something that I still enjoy because I get to work with people and I I get to work um, within the community.
0: What do you enjoy about doing this type of work? I know I did run into you at one of the temples where um, I was part of KHS day and we're helping to distribute food and I was pleasantly surprised to see you there. So what do you like about um, your new job and your interactions with the community from that perspective?
2: One of the the things that I love about this job is really getting to understand people's needs. Um, I think uh, one of the things that we commonly mistake in this society is that one solution fits everything and that's not usually the case. And so in if anything especially within food security work, food justice work, it's very different across all communities. One one solution is not going to work for for every community. And that's the one thing that I love about this position is I get to go out there, I get to connect with people, I get to learn about people's cultures, what people are eating, why they're eating it, farming practices, I get to learn about history. I get to learn about um, people's like what makes up a family for for each community and really being able to implement that into changing, you know, our, our systems right now to making sure that we are addressing the food security needs on the ground.
0: Just listening to everything you're saying so far, you have a long, long relationship with food, eating it and food security and helping others. So it's really interesting to hear
2: Yeah, food is definitely, um, I think, a big part of of my life specifically. And um, being in this work for for, um, about four years now, I think food is a big part in everybody's life.
0: And I think it's really significant, too, within our culture because it's a really big love language for us. And so everything, every gathering, there's got to be food and you have to take some home. You have to try some, everything.
2: Yeah, that's why every time, it's funny, every time I go to functions that I know that there's going to be food, or if I go to the temple, I go empty-handed, but making sure I bring containers, yeah, so that way I can bring food home.
0: <laughs> that's something I learned recently, too. I was like, hmm, will people look at me funny if I bring my own container? But now I understand. It really is their love language. Like, you know, I heard, it, you told me last time that you really like this dish, so I made it for you. Bring some home. And bring some for your mom and bring some for your friend.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, um, and I think a lot of cultures too is just like when you walk into the household, there's maybe an auntie or just an elder there that doesn't really ask how you're doing at first. The first thing they'll tell you is just go eat, get some food and eat. And then they'll ask you how you're doing afterwards. And they'll be like, oh, you look a little skinny. Eat some more. Oh, you look a little big. Eat some more. Like... Regardless, they're going to want us to eat, and I think that's, that's such, um, you know, a, a significant love language within our culture, at least the Khmer culture.
0: And actually, another um, layer of understanding regarding food that I recently learned. So working with Kakwa, we meet lots of Cambodian people in the community, and we were making small talk. They asked me, oh, what's your favorite Khmer food? And I said, oh, I like bokman." And they were like, what is that? I've never heard of that. And I tried to explain to them, and they've never heard of it before. And then we were talking some more, and I'm like, well, I also like Natang. And they never heard that either. And so when I came home, I talked to my family. I'm like, am I losing my mind? And they said, oh, actually, these are regional foods. We're from the countryside. And, you know, most people, they come from the city. So these are examples of two foods that they don't eat. And that's when I really thought about, like, oh, you know, there's there, like like how language has dialects. There's also different foods and different ways of preparing them that I didn't realize before.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's super interesting. And um, I think, yeah, because are you, is your family from the north, the like northern part of, of Cambodia? Yeah, we're okay. from
0: um, Jay, some wrong area.
2: Cool. My dad is too, and oh. that's why I recognize your accent. So I'm like, ah, you're probably from the north side. So yeah, my 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 dad's from Odominge as well.
0: Well, that's really. I did not know that you were from Odominge. So that's, that's
2: maybe we're weird. family. I don't know.
0: Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everyone knows everyone there. Yeah. So you know, and I love when the Quebec community comes together. And I think you know, of course, there are its flaws, and there is a lot of judgment, but. When I go to my Kakwa events, we do a lot of business outreach to, and we outreach to elders, and it's just lessons about business or how to use new technology. But whatever the case, at the end, we move out all the chairs, we turn on the music, and we have a little Romwong dance circle, and that's when I get to see people of all ages just come together and no judgment, dance as good or bad as they want to, and. You know, just everyone in that space, just owning that they're And, you know, in, in the past few years, um, you know, since I last talked to you, of course, I've gone through a lot of academic and professional changes. And I was helping my little cousin prepare for his own job interviews. Um, he just turned 18. And I realized that when people ask the question, tell me about yourself, I always say, my name's Annika, and I'm Cambodian. And I, I always like to preface with that. And I didn't realize, you know, it is really important to me just being part of this community and seeing other people in this community because there's so many command people around here. And we need to do our best to support them. Even, even though we're all so different and, you, you know, you might not agree with what some command people do or how they cook things or what they do with their life, you know, at the end of the day, we are a community.
2: I love that so much. Um, and one of the reasons why is because, uh, and congrats to everything that you've done too. Thank you. Because I, I still get comments about the the article that you wrote and the interview that we had. I still get comments till this day about it, of how inspiring it was for other people too. And to see such a young person be able to take that on. And now I, I love it because, and now you're, you're able to spread that to your little cousin too. So, um, and, and that is just why I do what I do, is to in, empower other people, empower new leadership, empower youth to really be able to own own your knowledge, own your identity, and being able to share that knowledge as well.
0: And, you know, actually with our original story, at the time of doing it, I didn't realize what impact it had on me. But now that I reflect on it, now I know. And I it kind of like, you know, like, I soak, I soaked it all in. I absorbed it. And now I know that it's significant to me because, you know, I produced it and it was on the radio, which, of course, is exciting. But also, you know, it's a conversation between younger Kemet people and it's a story about resilience. And I feel like a lot of Kemet stories, media, is always rooted in trauma and it's always bad news. But this time we were able to create a story that's more good news, uplifting and positive.
2: That's amazing. And thank you. And and you did that. You, you, a Kami, young Khmer American was able to do that. Right. And so I just want you to just remember that and remember the impact that you have on not just this generation or the next generation, but older generations above us, too, how they've recognized it, too because it has played in a very impactful role. You play a very impactful role into how this next generation um, is engaging into their identities and their culture.
0: Thank you. Thank you. You know, while I was preparing for today's interview, I was also wondering, why do you reflect on the story so much? Or when you think about that story, what parts of it are you taking away from it?
2: The funniest thing is that people still recognize me as the social media monk. <laughs> it's still so relevant um that people will, will 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 call me that or recognize me by that, but I think um that story in particular uh was something that made me feel it was it was like it was like a marking point Of the impact that I have because at the time and even now I kind of just do things and I think that's normal for everybody but we kind of just do things and when um, sometimes we're recognized by the work we do it's just that little bit of encouragement that keeps us going to do something else right to keep doing the same thing. Um, maybe just on a different level and to be completely transparent with you, I actually don't read any of my interviews that I do so I don't remember everything I said in there um, and so I I uh, that's just like my own personal thing. I don't read or look back on any of the interview. I honestly probably won't listen to this one either <laughs> but um, i I still remember the moments though that we do th- when we do those stories because again it's just uh, it's just a marking point for me to say that you know you you you've been recognized for this thing, and that for me is so so amazing because it it just means the things that we do has so much impact and meaning to it and that's why we should continue why we doing what we do um, because it's impactful for everybody
0: and I think you know just the way life is we're so busy, life moves so fast, and there's so much pressure from everyone to just keep moving, keep moving forward. So when we do these impactful things, we do it all the time, and we just forget how impactful or powerful it is. We don't realize, oh, maybe maybe this will change the world. It's not until we have these conversations and we keep reflecting back on what we've done that you look back and say, oh, I guess, you know, It did change. It did change me. It changed how I see things. And we are making a change. We just can't see it in the moment.
2: That's very true. And, you know, what if we had this question in mind the whole time? What if we had this question of like, okay, we're doing this interview right now. We're doing this story right now. What if five, six, seven generations from now takes this interview as a template to what they do in life? And I feel like if we have that question in mind and everything we do, it brings so much more meaning to what we do and continues to do and continues to encourage us to do the things you know we feel have a great positive impact into the world and for other people.
0: Well, then, where do we go from here?
2: <laughs> we mark this in our calendars this day as in not just an opportunity, but a mark of achievement into the things that we've done in life so far. And we leave this for the next generation and we take this onto our next project and whatever that may be, our next thing in life, whatever that may be, and we continue to build on that and making sure that we do things that reflect our personal interest and happiness. And we just keep going.
0: So today, we'll live in the moment, take it all in, understand what it really means for us, our goals, our culture, our heritage, generations
1: to come. Keep moving forward.
2: You summed it up great.
1: That was Radioactive alum Annika Prom talking with her friend Prenz Sangwoon. You can listen to Annika's original story about Prenz's life as a Buddhist monk on our website at KUOW.org slash Radioactive. Thanks for listening to SoundSide. This show is only possible because listeners support us. If you're able to give right now, please check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m. Monday through Thursday or anytime online at KUOW.org.
2: Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's Teen Dance Ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.